We're starting this episode of the Golf Science Lab with baseball, an illustration that every coach, parent, and junior golfer absolutely needs to hear. Well, nobody likes playing baseball and striking out four times a game and never making contact. Um, nobody likes missing fly balls. Nobody likes not doing well. Um, and it was always a challenge playing is that the kids that matured earlier than everybody else seem to be the greatest players. So when you're like a freshman, sophomore in high school, the guys that were shaven and the guys that had, you know, hairy legs were the ones that were the best. And all the rest of us who were, um, you know, weren't going to shave for another 10 years and were, you know, you know, you know look baby face and all that other stuff. As freshmen and sophomore, we were getting our butts kicked. Um, but what you would see is guys that were so good early on and they would play and they would be the, the workhorses and the studs. They would get to a spot where they no longer played well because they were getting their talent was getting bypassed by the guys who were late matures. And so the early specializers, the guys that were, you know, on all the great teams early on because they were usually the oldest kid and um, they were getting all the exposure and all the opportunities and they were the rock stars is when when testosterone hit and maturation hit, they no longer were that good. Um, and so they burn out. One is they burn out because they don't enjoy it anymore because they're not playing as well. Uh, two, I found that they also got distracted and they got distracted by other other things. Um, they didn't want to do the work. They, it, it required more of an effort to train, to, to, to win, to be good. The guys that were the late bloomers were the ones that were so hungry. Um, I was a late bloomer and I didn't grow until I was a senior in high school. And so um, you saw that burnout happen quite a bit. I see it in golf quite a bit too. You know, the, the specialization model, I mean, look, here, here's the whole thing, is it works. If you haven't guessed it, we're talking about early specialization and burnout in golfers. And there's been a lot of talk lately about the physical effects of early specialization, but what about what's going on in the head? That's why we brought on our fantastic guest, sports and performance psychologist, Dr. Brett McCabe. Hey, this is Dr. Brett McCabe. I'm the founder of The Mindside in Birmingham, Alabama. The whole nature of what I do is to help athletes find the mental strategies, the skill sets within them to reach their ultimate level of excellence and success. You're listening to the Golf Science Lab, and in this season, we're talking with psychologists and researchers so that we can better understand what's going on in the brain during golf. Hey, I'm your host, Cordy Walker, and thank you so much for listening in. Today especially, this info with Dr. Brett McCabe is really critical to understand as we talk about golfers and, and burnout and junior golf and early specialization. It's something that can have a big impact on a lot of people's lives. You know, if you enjoy this, make sure to check out Dr. Brett's podcast called The Mind Side. You will like that. And also, he's one of our presenters at our upcoming Unlocking Performance Virtual Summit. This is going to be in April. Uh, this is our second Golf Science Lab Virtual Summit. And these are a series, it's an elite gathering of presenters and attendees who are truly searching for the truth about golf in golf improvement. You know, some coaches have said this is some of the best content they hear during educational seminars, but it's also the most affordable. And, and golfers have talked about improvement in a matter of weeks is how it's changed the way that they think and they approach how they learn and get better at golf. It's really the practical application of research so you, you can learn how to improve what you're doing. It's not theoretical. 
it's real life. And the early bird pricing is available now. It's only available for a couple more days. So head over to unlockingperformancesummit.com. Get your all access pass and join us. First, a quick word from our sponsor. I think we're in a great time right now in, in the golf coaching world where we're starting to look a whole lot less at the fault only being the golf swing. And, and so many students, obviously, right, when they hit a bad shot, they're constantly saying, what did I do wrong? What happened with my swing? And we are, are have so much more knowledge in us that we are able to guide them and coach them in a manner that, hey, you know what, it, this really happened because of your mindset or it really happened because of how you're practicing. And, and these are the types of things that we're trying to create at golfscrimmages.com is just a big awareness and a wonderful tool for these coaches and players to understand the real meaning behind a bad shot that seldom is it just your swing. Head over to golfscrimmages.com and watch a video showing you how this all works and start climbing the leaderboards. Golfscrimmages.com. Most would say that early specialization doesn't work. But Dr. Brett has a different way of looking at it. He sees that players excel and perform very well when they specialize early. The problem is the retention and the ability to carry that out at an elite level. If I've got a young golfer who's nine and is going to play other sports, but we're going to spend five days a week at the golf course learning how to hit a driver and learning how to hit and putt and chip, and they never really make the big nines and tens that a lot of junior golfers make, and they're constantly shooting at par or they're strong enough to be able to overpower a golf course and they can hit driver chipping while everyone else is having to hit driver three-wood wedge because the other kids can't get their driver off the tee box, who's going to probably enjoy the game more? The kid who's the early specializer and the kid who's put all his time and effort into golf. So the other kids go like, this isn't much fun. Well, that kid is loving life. Well, what happens is what my experience is, is seeing those early specializers, it works. Okay. But they get to about 14, 15 when the kids, the other kids stop playing the other sports and they're growing and maturing. And all of a sudden their learning curve is pretty fast and they've now brought in other skill sets. And those other skill sets have come from the ability to sit on the bench and the ability to fight through challenges and the ability to win and lose and all the other things that go with it. Now, all of a sudden, those kids are really good. So the kid who's the early specializer has never psychologically been in the situation to to have to fight through it. Um, And that's why early specializers, uh, psychological um, uh, impact of it is they tend to quit sooner. They tend to give up on challenges faster. They tend to burn out so much faster because they never had to fight through the challenges. And I'm not saying the problem is, what I'm saying is that early specialization, it actually works. People are good when they do it. It just doesn't last. And eventually when the talented kids, like I saw in baseball and the talented kids that I see in golf, when they move in from other sports and now they're hungry, they tend to pick it up pretty quick. And so now you you see these kids bypassing. So early specialization works, no doubt. But the problem is the mental skills that they bring to the table just aren't there. They haven't had a lot of experiences and don't understand challenge and failure as much as someone who's played multiple sports and had a lot of different experiences at different levels. I think early diversity and early exposure is much more important. Is that if, you, if you're playing an individual sport like golf, 
um, you are the center of the universe and your kid. And, and I think that's probably what turns most of us off in early specializations is that the parents seem to put the kid in the center of the universe and they're treating them like junior professionals. But I think the important thing is, is that early diversity and early exposure to other sports is that is teaching the kids how to sit on the bench and realize that maybe you're not the superstar this year. You're maybe not the superstar. And if you're not the superstar, can you be a role player? It, can you be can you be the guy that goes into a basketball game and only gets to play a third of the minutes, but you can learn how to play defense and maybe score two points? Because the the amazing thing about about youth sports is that everybody's on a different maturation schedule, and the guy or the girl who is four inches taller and stronger, who grew early, may not grow last. They may be in and done. And so we have to start developing the psychological resiliency. We got to learn how to, to communicate with others. Um, we got to learn how to deal with failures. Um, that's why I'm a big believer in failure drills. You got to learn to, to communicate and to sit on the bench and not blame a coach and not say, I don't want to play anymore. There, there's a benefit to playing with kids that are better than you. There's also a benefit of playing with kids that are not as good as you. You know, there's times to go out there and feel really confident in what you're doing, but we got to have a little bit of everything. That is the biggest thing that early specializers miss is experiences. These experiences include different types of winning, different types of failure, uh, and dealing with failures is something that everyone needs to experience and learn how to deal with effectively. And not so much from a skill development standpoint, but a mental development standpoint, because especially in golf, you always have to deal with failure. So let's start doing some failure drills. And so what we want to do is put a kid or put an athlete or put a, put a player through drills that's going to force them to, to probably not succeed at it in order to see how they handle it. See, I want, I want athletes who come back to me and go, that drill that we did kicked my butt. When, when are we doing it again? Because I, I'm going to get it this time. Versus, I don't want to do that drill ever again because it made me lose my confidence. Well, first of all, a drill can't make you lose your confidence unless you choose to allow that drill to make you lose your confidence. I've got a putting drill that I do that is really hard. So it's, it's we call it the closer, which is um, eight stations around the hole. You have to make 24 in a row to win it all from five feet or you have to start over. The average completion time is over an hour and a half for the first time through it because you know you get to number 23 you're two away and you start getting nervous so it's a failure drill you're gonna fail at it but can you handle the failure in order to put it in the back of your mind to focus on the success can you deal with failure can you bounce back and try again and again it's a skill that some people have and others don't and if you don't it's something that you need to train and practice just like you work on hitting your driver you have to learn how to deal with failure and learn how to become really mentally tough so you can bounce back. Here's an analogy of how this plays out in another sport. And by the way, if you're not a fan of looking at other sports, I think you should be. Some of the best ideas come from outside the world of golf. Anyways, let's get into it. This started with a program that I was doing for a college football team where they were doing rounders, which are 110 110 around the side and 110 back down. So 330 meters of running. And um, they had to do it under a certain amount of time. And the coach told me, so we got a problem with our kids' fitness levels during competition. They're, they're, they're failing out there in the second and third quarter. I mean, they're dying. But we do this hard physical conditioning test. And I said, well, the physical conditioning test is not about growing. It's about them surviving it. And the survival is anybody who has to run those 
those rounders have to run 12 after practice uh, under a certain amount of time and you have only a certain amount of time in between sets is that the first one you're going to run to kind of see what you have and then after that you're conserving energy so that when you get to number 9, 10, 11, and 12, you can find the kick within you because nobody wants to be in a position of absolute exhaustion. Well, when you condition the mind and the body to be conserving and to protect, we got a problem. So we changed the game. And I said, we're going to go out there today and, and we're not going to tell you how many we're going to run. You choose how many you run today. But the only rule that I have is that you have to give me 100% of whatever you have in your tank. If you have 30% left to give and you are exhausted, can you give me 100%? When you feel you no longer have anything left to give, you can remove yourself from the drill and go stand in the center and recover and then cheer on your teammates. No coach, not me, or no teammate can criticize you for when you bail. The first guy bailed after two and a half rounds. The next guy at four, the average rate of completion was eight. We only had a handful of kids out of 100 that made it to 12. And we asked them afterwards, why was it so hard? I mean, they ran a third of what they'd been doing. And they said that every one, they had to ask themselves if they had any more left to give. And one of the kids said, I had to face failure on every, and I didn't tell them what kind of drill it was. So I had to face failing and getting around that corner and not being able to finish on every one of these. But I kept pushing through. I kept, I kept finding something inside me that I didn't know I had. Now, I wouldn't do it every day, but I would mix things in to say, okay, and what that's forcing you to do is instead of conserve, it's forcing you to face those demons that are inside each of us. One thing I wanted to address with Dr. Brett is those that have succeeded, those that did specialize early, but have gone on to be world-class because there are always those that break the so-called rules. So you're fighting for with 150 other people across the age dynamic that are competing for your job. So it's really hard. There's a lot of factors. Some people work really, really hard to get there, but they never think about staying there. Some people work really, really hard to um, stay there, and, and then they think they have to change what they're doing. You know, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, those those players. You know, Lexi Thompson, or you know, those types of players. That you know, look, they're, they're they're the proof as to why specialization works. Okay, now, you know, was it healthy for them? I don't know. I don't know them. You know, maybe, why would we say it's not? You know, people say, oh, look at the problems Tigers had. Well, that's, how do we know we wouldn't have had those problems? We don't know that. But what we do know is that Tiger early on, his dad trained him through a variety of techniques to try to induce pressure and stress around him. Okay. Um, Rory McIlroy, I, I was watching the Oscars last night. And Leonardo DiCaprio, pre, previous to the Oscars, was talking about how his parents supported his vision early on to be an actor in Hollywood. He lived, he grew up in East LA or East Hollywood, whatever it was. And he kept begging his parents to take him to auditions. What happens if his parents had said, no, 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 that's silly. And his passion is that now there's stage parents, right? There's adverse stage parents. We see them, we got, they make shows about them, but there are still people who get through. And at the same time, there are actors that just all of a sudden fall into a role and become a great actor. The, the point is there's so many pathways to, the, to success. What I focus on is, okay, what can take an athlete and make them the best, most well-rounded person ever? Athletes to get to the top of the mountain to stay number one have to sacrifice a lot to do that. It's not for the faint of heart. Well, it's like climbing Everest. It takes six to nine weeks to climb Everest. 
one out of 10 climbers die. So those who are climbing to the top of Everest, they have to make decisions at each base camp if they're willing to take the sacrifice and the risk to go to the next. I read an article, they had a, they had a guy, they have a, a dead body who's up on the mountain. Cause you know, once you get to a certain level on Mount Everest, they don't bring the body down. You know, it's frozen, so the body looks normal. And there's a guy they call Green Boots, who I think it was a 25 year old climber who, who died and, and climbers have to step over him to stay on the path. And one of the, the climbers said, I was climbing and I went to go step across Green Boots. And everybody knows who Green Boots is. I mean, it's, it's like the ceremonial or, you know, you know, symbolic nature of which of crossing as you're in the death zone, as you're pushing to 29,000 feet. He said, I went to go step across Green Boots and all of a sudden I had this insight that said, I'm good, I'm done. And he turned around and he went back down to the, next, to the camp that he was at because he said it was no longer worth the sacrifice. I saw in my living eyes what that sacrifice was worth and I didn't want to do that to my kids. Now, when you get to the top of Everest, you're only up there for 10 minutes. That's all you get. And it's only the size of a pool table. So for some people, that sacrifice is worth it. And they don't care if they destroy things in their life because it's so important to them. Or they find spouses or partners or, or coaches and everyone else who's also committed. It's like political families. They're committed to what it takes to be at that level. So my point is, is that, that to be the best, there's a sacrifice. To be great at whatever you wanna do, there's a sacrifice. It's not right for everybody. So some people make it and they leave. They burn out, they get tired. You know, they, they go from working 11 hours a day on their craft to, um, to ending up in a position where it's like, you know what, I don't really wanna go train right now. Make sure to check out what Dr. Brett is up to and take as much wisdom from his content as possible. Yeah, the, the greatest thing to do is, is you can follow us online at, at The Mindside. Um, you can go to themindside.com, and that's T-H-E-M-I-N-D-S-I-D-E.com. I still have my Twitter page, um, at Dr. Brett McCabe. It's spelled B-H-R-E-T-T. Um, but the people here in my office will tell me just to make sure we send them to the Mindside. Um, but you can follow us at both places. And let's end strong with this advice to all the parents listening into this. Love your kids. Love them deeply. Um, believe that your kids can be better than you were by giving them the opportunities, but also requiring them to put out the same or greater effort to achieve. You know, the, the, the reward that's given to us on a platter is never really appreciated like the reward you have to work for. Set them up that they have to work for it, but increase their odds of success through the way that they train, the way that they work, the way that they interact with others. You don't have to make it impossible, just make it possible. Thank you so much to Dr. Brett McCabe for joining us on the Golf Science Lab. Make sure to check out what he's doing at themindside.com. Also, join us in the Golf Science Lab Insider Club. Head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider to get access to the content first and stay up to date on what we're documenting in golf science. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. Thank you to this season's content partner, Dr. Brett McCabe of themindside.com for his invaluable advice. One of the things we talked about in the last season of the Golf Science Lab was transferring skills. How do we transfer skills from the range to the course? And we learned that we need to practice like we play, simulating pressure and going through the same processes. So that's why golf scrimmages is such a good tool. They have great games and specific drills for the skills that you need to improve. So head over to golfscrimmages.com, see what they're up to, sign up, track your progress, and climb the leaderboards. Big thank you to them for sponsoring this season of the Golf Science Lab. 
This was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions, and we'll see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab.